Welcome everyone to The Mushroom Show, the place to come for landlords who need help and advice with insurance, tenant finding, mortgages, rent collection, and a whole lot more. This is a pre-recorded show, but we will be going live at the end with our panel to take your questions until four o'clock. So just drop them in and we will get to them in a little while. I'm Rob Smith, and today I'm joined once again by Adrian McClinton, who's a property litigation solicitor and head of dispute resolution and Adrian's going to be breaking down everything you need to know about leases. Now, many landlords, of course, own flats, particularly in cities, and therefore a lot of landlords do have to consider the impact that a lease can have on their income. And leases can affect your investment, from dealing with the freeholder to making it potentially tricky to sell in the future. So before we speak to Adrian around all of that, don't forget you can follow Mushroom any number of different ways on Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, and you can join our private Facebook community where you can share your experiences, ask questions, and get all the support and answers that you need. Now, we will be sending out a recording of this webinar and a review request, and we really would appreciate it if you could take the time to leave us a review. If our conversation sparks an idea or a question that you want to share, then please do that via the Facebook community page as I say, our expert team will be responding live until four o'clock. We've got loads to get stuck into, so let's get stuck into it. Right, well, to kick the show off today, welcome back to Adrian McClinton, who's a property litigation solicitor and head of dispute resolution. We're talking about leases. There's quite a lot of quite detailed stuff that we're going to go through, but I think it's important to nail it down properly and get it right, isn't it? And let's start with the basics as always to just outline what the difference is between owning a property freehold and owning a property leasehold actually is. What is the difference? Okay, well, if you own a property freehold of a property, uh, you own the land on which that property is situated. If you own a property that is subject to a lease, you mm -hmm. own the leasehold interest. Uh, that is derived from that freehold. So in pragmatic terms, that means, for instance, if you bought a flat in a, an apartment block, you don't own the ground that it's on, mm. you just own the right to own that bit of it for a period of time. Yeah, I think that's quite a good uh, description, actually. What you tend to find is that the type of lease that you've got is what's known as an eggshell lease. You own the inner part of that property, mm -hmm. and then outside of that is... Uh, the uh, under the ownership of the freeholder more often than not. So if you are a, a landlord and a leaseholder, mm. what does that mean to you? Okay, well, I think it's important to understand that there's no legal distinction between the term leaseholder mm -hmm. and tenant. Right. So effectively, if you're a leaseholder, you are a tenant, and it tends to be that the term leaseholders used when we're describing a, uh, in residential terms, a long leaseholder. So someone who has a tenancy for a long period of time. Right. Okay. So effectively, you've bought the lease, you are a tenant as the leaseholder, and then you're effectively subletting it when you get somebody else in to rent the flat from you. You're effectively subletting it in legal terms. Yes. So the... Uh, the sub-tenancy, the more often than not the short, shorthold tenancy, mm -hmm. is derived from your legal interest as a leaseholder. 
So the crucial thing around a lease is to mm. do with how much time is left on that lease, isn't it? The, 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 the longer your lease is, the more secure you are in terms of getting mortgages and all those kind of things. Yes, that's correct. Uh, it's a depleting asset. Uh, the length of your lease will sometimes determine the value of, of the leasehold interest. Mm -hmm. um, it's important to remember that after a certain number of years, it can be more expensive to extend your lease. Mm -hmm. If the lease is below a certain number of years, it's difficult to get, get a, a mortgage on the lease. Um, and, and obviously that can limit the, uh, the market in which you could sell your leasehold interest to, so sell the flat. Okay, to. so what's that point when it becomes problematic? How many years left on the lease do you need to have before mm. it becomes a live issue? Well, it becomes a live issue for a lot of leaseholders when it's approaching uh, 80 years right. left to run. The reason being is that if you want to extend your lease, which we'll get onto in a minute, uh, it becomes more expensive effectively to extend your lease. Okay, so if you've got a lease and you know that you're getting up to that point where there's 80 years or less on it, mm. you really need to think about doing something about it. Yes, yes you do. Uh, because uh, were the leases under 80 years, it can result or it will result in you paying a higher premium to the freeholder or your landlord to extend the lease. Uh, it also means that if you sell the property, it might be harder for any potential buyer to obtain a mortgage. And it can, it can get to a point where if the lease is of a particularly short length, that the only parties that could buy the, the leasehold interest would be cash buyers. So how do you do that then? Is it a complicated process to extend the lease? It can be. Uh, you can do it informally with your landlord. You can approach them and ask them if they want to extend the lease. And some landlords are interested in that. If you can't reach uh, an informal agreement with your landlord or go down an informal process, there is legislation that enables a leaseholder to uh, compel their uh, landlord to grant them a new lease for a, pe for a longer period of time. Is that an expensive process to go through? There are so many factors that go into how much you pay by way of premium to extend your lease. The length of the lease, um, the ground rent that's payable, under the term of the lease, the, the location of the property as well. As you can imagine, the property that's, or a flat that's located in Mayfair uh, will be uh, of more value and therefore it'll be more ex expensive to extend that lease than a property that's located in the, uh, on the old Kent Road. And, but in terms of the, sort of the money involved, I mean, it can be really quite significantly different, those two extremes that you talked about there. Mm. One might be just a few hundred pounds to extend the lease, the other might be tens of thousands of pounds, is that? Yeah, I think that's fair to say. Right, okay. Absolutely. So if it's looking like it might be expensive, why would you want to do it? What are the dangers if you don't extend the lease? Well, going back to what we were talking about before, uh, if you were to sell the property you uh, and you had a short lease, you'd be limited to a certain type of buyer. So that might be one reason. Um, 
another reason is just protection of your asset. Uh, as the asset depletes, uh, it becomes less valuable. There is the possibility that the law around all of this is going to be changing, isn't it? There's been a, quite a lot of talk around what's going to be going on with leases going forwards. Mm. What are the changes that are actually being proposed? Well, uh, there's a lot, a lot of uncertainty as to how the uh, enfranchisement landscape is going to change. Uh, the Law Commission produced a report back in 2020 with 102 recommendations, proposals. Uh, the government has stated that it is going to bring in legislation that addresses some of those proposals. For instance, the abolition of uh, sky-high ground rent, uh, the abolition of something called marriage value, um, making it easier uh, to extend your lease and making the process easier. But uh, there hasn't actually been any draft bills put in front of uh, the Commons yet. So that means it could be years before any of that actually goes before Parliament and comes into effect. Well, Michael Gove has made it absolutely clear that he wants this dealt with within this Parliament, which will likely come to an end in May 2024. Um, but again, we've been waiting for years for uh, reform of this area of law. Right. OK, so let's say then you're a landlord and you're looking at your lease and it's getting down to you've got like 83 years left on it. And you're thinking, well, I, I ought to sort this out, but there might be changes in the law coming through. That means I won't necessarily have to. Do you stick or twist? <laughs> Is it are you better off just paying the money and making sure you've got it sorted out come what may? Or would you be as well waiting for another few years knowing that it's going to get sorted out? I, I think it really does depend on your individual circumstances and what you want to do medium to long term with that property. Mm -hmm. uh, if you're approaching 80 years, you might think, actually, it's probably best to extend so I don't go under that threshold of 80 years and have to pay the additional premium to, uh, to my landlord. So I think it really does depend. If, for instance, you have uh, a lease that's got 100 years left on it, you might decide to leave it because that lease uh, will be attractive to any potential buyer. Okay, so let's look at some of the other things that might crop up around leases. People are sometimes concerned about common areas. So you've got a big block of flats. Mm. You own the lease for a flat, but there's areas in the, that block of flats that you don't have direct control over as the, as the leaseholder. And your tenants are moaning at you that they're not happy with the common areas for mm. whatever. Whose responsibility is it to maintain the common areas? Well, more often than not, it will be the, the freeholder or your, your head landlord. Mm -hmm. um, your lease will make clear what, uh, what your landlord's obligations are, which will normally be to keep and repair the common area, keep it tidy, um, in return for payment of service charges. Mm -hmm. So it will normally be made clear within a lease. Okay, so as the leaseholder, you've got your tenant in there mm. who's moaning about the, the common thing. It's your responsibility as the leaseholder to go to the freeholder or the building's owner yeah. to make sure they sort out those common areas. Yes. So let's talk then about um, where you've got issues as a leaseholder with the freeholder. And there's something called collective enfranchisement yeah. and right to manage. Just walk me through what that actually means. Okay. So that started with collective enfranchisement. Mm -hmm. um, within the same 
legislation that enables a leaseholder to compel their landlord to grant them a new lease um, is also the ability for leaseholders to club together and compel the freeholder to sell to them the freehold interest of the property. And when might you want to do that? Well, um, the, the most common reason will be where the leaseholders feel that they want to uh, take back control of the uh, running of the freehold. Mm -hmm. And in fact, a lot of the cases that, um, the, the first cases involving collective enfranchisement involved situations where there was an absentee freeholder right. and the freehold itself was not being run properly. So uh, let's put it into concrete terms. If you've got a big block of flats and there's like a hundred mm. different uh, leaseholders within that, yeah. getting all of those to agree to a, uh, uh, a collective enfranchisement, I'm guessing is going to be a complicated process to try and go through. Yeah, it will be. Um, the less leaseholders, the easier it will be, tends mm. to be the case. Uh, there is a threshold. It's got to be over 50% of the uh, leaseholders want to um, want to exercise the right to collective enfranchisement together. And the more leaseholders you have, the more complicated that part of the process will be. Okay, so let's say you had a building where you had six different leaseholders in it, and then you, you wanted to go down that, that process. Mm. You would have, it's got to be over 50%. So six, sorry, four out of the six would have to agree. Yeah. You couldn't, it's not three and three. No. It's got to be a, a majority That's decision. Right. And so if you had just two people in a, uh, an arrangement, both of them would have to agree to do it. They would. Right. Okay, great. So given that I mean, we talked through quite a lot of fairly complicated things there, mm -hmm. and Clearly, being a freehold owner of a property gives you, you've got, you've got all the cards in your hand there, haven't you, as a, as a freeholder of a property. Are there benefits to actually having a leasehold? Why do people do it at all? Well, one of the, one of the things that happens when leaseholders get together and uh, exercise the right to collectively enfranchise and purchase the freehold is that they, they soon realise that more often than not, they don't like each other, and they find it, you know, they find it difficult to run the freehold and make decisions that that are in the best interest of the freehold assets, that um, than their interest as leaseholder. And so you can have squabbles, you can have um, you can have periods where decisions cannot be made. Whereas if you have a uh, if you have an arm's length freeholder they're running the, the freehold in accordance with their obligations to the leaseholders mm -hmm. they're running that freehold so they can determine when works need to be carried out and they can point to the lease as their right to do that so actually in those circumstances we've got multiple leaseholders in a building effectively the freeholder can be the kind of the referee and has a bigger responsibility for the whole building. Yeah, the, the referee can act as an honest broker. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they have obligations that they need to comply with under the terms of each individual lease with regards to keeping 
for instance, keeping a freehold in your power. And so it's easy for the freeholder to say, we have to carry out this work. We're obligated to do so, and the work needs to be done. So in general terms, if we kind of zoom right out and look mm. at the whole leasehold uh, environment, it can be a perfectly good thing to do, buying a leasehold. You just have to go into it with your eyes wide open. Yeah, look, it, leasehold ownership is a very common form of ownership. Uh, it's been around for many years. Uh, it's clearly in need of reform, uh, but it is a very efficient way to manage large amounts of property. Hence, the need for freeholders, even if uh, the freeholder is actually an entity that's owned by all of the leaseholders. It is still a very common way to manage property. And I think I don't think that uh, investors, landlord investors, should shy away from leasehold property uh, specifically, but they do need to understand that there are limitations in terms of ownership. Mm -hmm. And there are things that they need to do to protect their asset. Right, okay. So taking advice is a really crucial element. Yes, it is. And that advice will come from a number of different quarters. So, for instance, a lawyer will be able to advise you on the legal aspects of any lease. Uh, but if you were to extend your lease or look to extend it, you'd need the assistance of a specialist valuer who is... Uh, who is used to working in this area because it is quite a specific area of expertise. Great stuff. Adrian, really interesting stuff. I know we're going to be talking about similar stuff again in the future. So, so thanks ever so much for coming back into Mashroom. Adrian McClinton, Property Litigation Solicitor. Now let's take a look at the latest news here on the Mashroom Show. The number of landlords planning to downsize is at an all-time high, according to new research from the NRLA, the National Residential Landlords Association, which shows that 12% of landlords sold properties in the second quarter of 2023, but just 5% bought. The research also found that 37% of landlords are planning to cut the number of properties they let in the next year, while just 8% are planning to increase their portfolio. And that is clearly not enough to make up the shortfall as increasing number of landlords exit an ever more competitive market. Now, we have, of course, touched on the plight of tenants at various points over the last few months because many are struggling to find homes because of the increased rents and huge competition for properties as demand continues to outstrip supply. So what then is causing this exodus? Well, rising mortgage rates are one element, but the increased risk that comes with higher rents also can't be ignored. Many landlords are rightly worried that their tenants' ability to pay will be affected, and the knock-on effect that that will have when they have larger monthly mortgage repayments to meet can't be overlooked. There are also government policies that you could argue have driven landlords out of the sector, including additional tax pressures. While the government's indicated it is looking to support homeowners at the moment, there hasn't been as much discussion about supporting landlords and, by extension, tenants. The chief executive of the NRLA, Ben Beadle, says that households renting privately are facing the full force of the supply crisis and changes needed now to prevent the situation from worsening over the next 12 months.
And there are also figures showing that many landlords are already suffering a huge drop in their rental income, in some cases almost 60% less than just a couple of years ago. As interest rates rise, do you know how it's going to impact your bottom line? Personal finance website finder.com has done some maths and discovered that an average landlord has lost somewhere in the region of £4,000 of income per property per year. By looking at the average house price, interest rates and rental prices, a landlord who took out a two-year fixed-rate mortgage in June of 22 could expect to receive around £609 a month from rental income. But remortgaging in June of 23 with a much higher interest rate gives an average return of just £250 a month. That's a whopping 59% drop. Well, with figures like that, it's understandable why so many landlords are throwing in the towel. Kate Steer, housing expert at Finder.com, said, We're seeing a trend of landlords pulling out of the buy-to-let market as consecutive base rate hikes have made it unprofitable for them to continue. This will have a worrying impact on an already competitive rental market, leaving renters with fewer options and rising costs as they attempt to navigate the cost-of-living crisis. Well, these numbers are, of course, worrying, and we can see that a significant number of landlords are leaving the sector. But it's worth taking the time to consider all your options before deciding that giving up your portfolio is the right step. Landlords are a key part of the housing industry in the UK and are necessary for those who aren't ready or unable to buy their own home or just don't want to. So many pundits feel that a tipping point will be reached where the government will have to step in to support landlords and tenants. But it's also important to consider the longer term view because property is still one of the most reliable investments you can make. Safe as houses, as they say, but it is a long term one. And in the course of the years, possibly decades, that you own a property, this period of turbulence is likely to be just a short-lived period. So, take the time to consider all the options available to you and most importantly, get advice. Speak to a mortgage advisor, like the guys at Masha Mortgages, before you take your next step. Well, let's have a chat then with... Kirsty Primer. Kirsty's a, a mortgage advisor um, with Masham Mortgages. Great to see you again, Kirsty, as always. So we're talking about leases. Um, I mean, can having a lease actually have an impact on the kind of mortgages you can get? It can have an impact on the kind of mortgage you can get if um, there are certain conditions in the lease or the length is a, you know less than a, a certain period of time. It can restrict which lenders we can use. Um, so it's definitely something that's worth talking to an advisor about before you make an offer on a property mm-hmm. to make sure that you're getting the best advice and actually that you can use as many mortgage lenders as, as you can. Most lenders nowadays don't restrict, especially on a buy-to-let. They'll still allow 75% loan-to-value on a, a leasehold property, but the lease has to meet certain conditions. And is there any difference between sort of getting a new mortgage if you're buying a new place outright or if you're remortgaging? An existing no, one? The, the criteria will be the same with the mortgage lenders. So it's, it's again, looking at how long is left on the lease, if the, the lease has certain conditions, like if it has a doubling ground rent, certain mortgage companies won't like that. Mm-hmm. So we just have to be aware. Um, and there'll be questions an advisor will always ask um, because we want to make sure, you know, we're, when we're doing our research, we are providing you with the absolute best information. Um, so we need that information from you as well. Okay. So am I right in thinking that... Um, it's, it's about the length of the, 
the yeah. amount of time left on the lease. That's one, the crucial one of the, Yeah, one of the parts is is about the length of the lease. We we ideally want it more than 80 years, which means we can look at pretty much every lender on the market. Mm-hmm. Any less than that, and then we start, have to start reducing what lenders we can use and, and how happy they are with things. Right, okay. So 80 years is about the point where it starts about getting About the twitchy, point, yeah. It? Yeah, about the point. Okay, so let's say, for instance, that you have got a, a lease that's below, you know, yeah. Had a place for twenty five odd years. You dip below that. that Absolutely. 80. What do you do then? Um, I would recommend that you speak to a solicitor, and uh, especially if you own owned the property more than two years, you are then eligible to do a lease extension. Now these costs can vary massively. I've seen them be three thousand pounds, and I've seen them be seventy thousand pounds. So wow. they are different different for every property. So speak to a solicitor. They'd be able to speak to the, the freehold, mm-hmm. um, and then they could determine a price from there as to what works best for you. Put the lease back up to a decent level and then you'd be able to remortgage the property as standard. Right, okay. Given the fact there's such a huge variation there, it's really worth yeah, taking a proper ab- look at it, isn't absolutely it? Absolutely it is. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. It's something you might want to ask when you're buying the property as well. The shorter the lease, generally the more expensive it is to extend that lease. Um, so I'd always recommend you try and get it done as soon as you can. You have to have owned the property for two years. So see what you can do at that point. Okay, so let's say... Um, you're in the process of extending your lease, yep. but your mortgage product is coming to an end and there's an awful lot of people who are worried yep. about their mortgage product coming to an end at 100%. the moment, obviously, because you have a big step up. <laughs> you're in the process of it. You haven't had it finalised yet. Does that cause an issue in its own right? No, most mortgage lenders will accept that the lease is being extended. They won't allow the remortgage to go into place until they've had confirmation that that lease extension has been completed. Um, but they can normally complete on the remortgage a day or two after that. Right, okay, so, so there's a bit of flexibility. There's a bit of flexibility. It doesn't stop us putting in an application. It's about putting it in the right way. Again, I'd recommend you get your, your expert mortgage advice on that, mm-hmm. purely because we as advisors have the knowledge and the skills to have the conversations with the lenders, present your case in the right way and make sure that we're, we're getting that application accepted. It's not affecting your credit score and, and things like that. So given the fact that there are a few wrinkles that you need to think about yeah. with a leasehold, is it worth just avoiding them completely? No, I don't think for any reason you should avoid them. It's about looking at the right things. So one of the things I would look out for is that obviously the length of lease, like we've talked about, but also looking at clauses in the lease. So some um, some newer build properties, so early 2000s, I mean, I say newer build, but that's still quite a while ago mm. now. Um, they will have a doubling ground rent clause in their lease. Um, so with that, it could be that the freeholder has the right to double the ground rent every 10 years. Now, mortgage lenders don't like that because it affects the saleability of the property. So again, it's it's looking at the length of lease, looking at the ground rent and service charge, because if the ground rent is too high, um, some lenders don't like that as well. So for example, if it's seven, eight, nine hundred pounds a year, that, that's a lot for a ground rent. You know, 250 is, is about right in the area that I live in. Areas vary, um, but you know, it's all relative to the property price as well. So it's making sure that if you're going to view a property, you're asking those questions. Is is there that clause in the lease? What is the ground rent? What is the service charge? And what is the length of lease? They're, they're the main questions I'd be asking. If they all tick my boxes, then there's no, you know, there's there's no concern for me with buying a leasehold property. Okay. All right. And and in terms of the lease length, I mean, in general terms, the longer the better. Absolutely. You know, we... Um, I think the standard mainly 
At the moment with newer build properties, a 125 year lease, but it's not uncommon to have a 999 year lease. Right, okay. Um, That's virtually a freehold. Virtually a freehold. You'll tend to find that most ex-local authority properties, um, if they've been bought as a right to buy property, for instance, they will have that that long, long length of lease, um, which then, yeah, essentially... It acts almost like a freehold. I won't say it definitely does, but no, yeah, no, it's you, not you quite still the same, answer. But... You still answer to the freeholder. Uh-huh. Um, but um, yeah. if you're still alive in 900 years' time, <laughs> then be concerned. <laughs> <laughs> and so, if you were investing, what would you do? I would look at all types of properties. I wouldn't be put off by leasehold at all. I would just make sure I've got as much information as I can before I make an offer on that property. Um, I, as an advisor, I'm quite happy. Um, you know, to help advise on that. If you, you know, if I had a customer that was, you know, quite concerned about that, I would pick up the phone to the estate agent for them, you know, and I think all of our advisors will do something like that to support our customers and make sure that you're purchasing the right property for you. And it's always worth having a chat with an advisor. Always worth having a chat with us. Great stuff. Kirsty, thanks ever so much. Brilliant. Thank you. Well, that's it for the Mashroom Show for this week. As always, there's plenty more to come. We'll be back for the next episode on Friday, 8th of September for more Landlord Chat. Don't forget to follow us online and join our Facebook community. If you want to listen to the show again, then just keep an eye on your inbox because the recording will be with you very shortly. But for the moment, goodbye for now. We'll see you again on the 8th of September.